hard to believe it's been five years. And, you know, in the Old Testament, God commanded his people to celebrate significant moments uh, in their history, uh, times in which God had done something miraculous on their behalf. And not only would that be a reminder to the people of what God had done and his power, but it also gave them hope for the future as well. If God had done something for them like that in the past, then he must have a plan for them in the future that he would bring about as well. And next week, we're going to go back to our regular service schedule to the series that we've been in called The Ghost. But this morning, we felt that five years is such an important milestone that we all needed to celebrate it together. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to take just a few moments at the beginning here to look back over the last five years, a few highlights. But I want to spend most of our time today looking ahead. You know, the reason that five years is so remarkable is that church planting studies have shown that statistics for new churches aren't that much different than new businesses. 40% will close by the end of the first year. Within five years, more than 80% of them will fail. So the fact that we've made it to the five-year mark is absolutely remarkable. And if you have started attending City Church sometime in just the last few years after our opening, you need to know that there are a lot of people who have sacrificed a great deal of time and energy and money for your sake. These people, some of whom have already gone home to be with the Lord, prayed for you and sacrificed for you without even knowing you by name. They wanted God to use their sacrifices to make it possible to build a church in which you could encounter the risen Lord Jesus Christ and be transformed by his love for you. And yet, even though there's been a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifice, I think all of us that were involved from the very beginning realize that there is no natural earthly reason that we've made it to this point. Jesus Christ deserves all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the praise at City Church. Some of you heard in the video at the very beginning of the service, if you were here, that City Church began with a small group of about eight people meeting in a home in August of 2012 who felt strongly that there was room for another church in the city of Evansville, uh, one that would be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ as both the basis for our salvation as well as the ongoing transformation of our lives one that would be committed to the teaching of the Bible as the foundation of our faith, and one that would be deeply committed to the flourishing of the city of Evansville. But uh, the odds were stacked against us from the very beginning. You heard the statistics just a moment ago about church plants. But beyond that, this small group that had the vision for City Church graciously asked me to be their pastor, a man from out of town who knew almost no one in this city, and yet had made the news, and not in a positive way, uh, and knew nothing about church planning. And this is not a formula for success. Uh, In fact, I learned uh, later on that we launched City Church at a time of the year that real church planters would say that you should never launch a church in the middle of the summer. Oops. In addition, we didn't have a building, of course. So we met at uh, what used to be called the center, now the old uh, National Events Plaza for two and a half years, and, and we set up and we tore down a church. You heard that in the video every Sunday. 
And that, by the way, is one of the reasons that church plants rarely last. It just, it just wears people out to do that. You know, there's a great deal that I could talk about that God has done uh, throughout the last five years. But to me, as a pastor, one of the most remarkable moments in our church's history, when it really became clear to me that God was at work in City Church was, and I kid you not, at at a moment that you would probably not expect that as a pastor, I would think this was the moment that it really seemed that God was doing something at City Church. And it was at an event we did called the great porn debate. (laughs) We wanted to wake people up in the city of Evansville about an epidemic, and by the way, that isn't too strong of a word, that is destroying the lives of children and grandchildren and men and women in this city. And so for those of you who don't know about the great porn debate, we invited a real porn star named Ron Jeremy to participate in a debate about pornography. We were on the news. We were billboards all over Evansville. The other person in the debate was a pastor from California who has an anti-porn ministry called, and again, I kid you not, triplexchurch.com. Standing between the two of these men was yours truly moderating the debate. I said some opening words to kick off the event, and then I politely gave Mr. Jeremy the first opportunity to speak. Now, if you have never met Ron Jeremy, and and by the way, I don't mean this to disparage him in any way, but uh, I think Ron would even say the same thing, that class and sophistication are not Ron's trademark. And so in just the first 10 minutes of the debate, he had used multiple words and phrases that I am pretty sure have never been spoken in a church-sponsored event like in over 2,000 years of the church. And I want you to try to imagine for just a moment what would happen if your dear, sweet, clean, church-going grandmother accidentally showed up at an event like that. During that first 10 minutes, I looked out over the audience and I saw a number of dear, sweet, clean city church grandmothers and I began to pray that the heart paddles in the building worked because I was sure that someone would need resuscitated before the, the night was over. After I got home from the event that night, I I honestly, seriously wondered if anyone would show up on Sunday, and and let me tell you why. You know, I've served in four churches, um, been in ministry for three decades. I've studied many more churches. I've known people and pastors in a lot of other churches, and I can tell you that the honest truth is, and, and, and I'm not glad to say this, I'm just telling you this, the majority of the people in most churches are frightened, play it safe, genteel people who would never be willing to do something that uncomfortable to care for the people of their city or to reach people who normally would never darken the doorstep of a church. But the people at City Church, including those dear, sweet, clean grandmothers, proved as they have time and time again just how courageous They are. And the next Sunday, they showed up and they kept showing up and they never complained about the things they heard or the things that were said or or that their tender uh, ears would never be the same. And I want to tell you that it was at that moment that I really began to sense that God had a plan for City Church because that is just so rare. Those of you who weren't here at City Church at that time need to know That's the kind of people who have laid the foundation of this church. They are fearless, they are courageous, and they are full of faith. They don't want to play, 
at church. They're willing to take risks for the sake of people, knowing that even if we fail, or even if we were to look back and say we might do something differently next time, God is gracious, and that he would rather us make mistakes in faith than play it safe in fear. And that's an attitude that we can't ever afford to lose. Listen to me. Once a church starts playing not to lose, not to offend, it begins a long, slow journey from what began as a mission to what will one day be a museum. Now, here's where I want to transition, and I want to talk about what it will take for City Church to continue to be a mission and to never let us become a museum, to never become the kind of place that starts to play to protect what we have, to never become the kind of place that plays it safe because we're fearful. And to do that, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to a passage that I just want to, I want to glean some things from the next few minutes. It's in the New Testament, and it's written by one of Jesus' disciples, a man named Peter, who knew something about the misery of cowardice. First Peter chapter 1 is the passage. Again, it's in the New Testament, First Peter chapter 1. I'll meet you there in just a moment. Before Jesus died on the cross, Peter denied him out of fear of persecution. But something changed in Peter after Jesus' resurrection. He became bold and he became courageous. He became a leader of Jesus' movement and was eventually martyred for his devotion to the revolution of Jesus Christ. Peter's writing to people who have been and who are being persecuted themselves for their belief in Christ. He has some things to say to them that I think we should listen to very carefully this morning. I want to read the verses, we'll come back, and then we'll uh, break them down just a little bit. Start reading uh, at verse 18. For you know, Peter says, that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that was handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and the enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. The word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, if you're looking at your watches and you're thinking, boy, that's a long passage of Scripture. How is he going to have time to go through all of that? Let me just sort of relieve your fears. There's no way that we have time. Uh, left to cover all of that. So I just, I just want to glean a couple of things, just two things really, that, and, and there's so much more that we could say about that, but I, I just want to glean a couple of things that pertain to us this morning, and then we'll save the rest for another time. The question 
that we're asking is how do we continue in the next five years to be a mission and not turn into a museum? And by the way, the reason I use the word museum is that a number of years ago, I read, a, read a, an article about a church in East Texas that had once been a, it had been a very lively church, but it had long since died. And it was now being used, when I read the article, as a museum for old relics. And I want to tell you that's what happens to churches that lose their sense of what the church is supposed to be. There may still be a lot of people in them. There may be a lot of money given, but they're museums. How do we avoid that in the next five years? And here's the first thing that I, I want you to see, is that we must be people who intentionally pursue transformation. We've got to be people who intentionally pursue Transformation. Look at the primary metaphor that Peter uses to describe spiritual growth in this passage. Verse 23, he says, you've been born again. And then in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Now, the reason that Peter uses this metaphor of childbirth and, and development is that he wants us to understand that the normative experience for followers of Christ is to do what babies naturally do. They grow and they change over the course of a lifetime. They grow and they change radically. That's normative. In fact, if that doesn't happen, we get concerned about the baby because something is wrong. Now, the word that Jesus uses to describe a person who is pursuing transformation and who is continuing to grow and to change over time is the word disciple. A lot of people think that the church's goal is to convert people into Christians. I've said this before, but do you know how many times the New Testament uses the word Christian? Only three times. Only three times. On the other hand, do you know how many times it uses the word disciple? 269 times. And by the way, let me just give you a definition of a, of a disciple so that you can evaluate if you are one. A disciple of Jesus Christ is a person who, intent on becoming like Christ, systematically and progressively rearranges his or her own affairs to that end, despite the cost. His or her own affairs rearranges those, despite the cost. In other words, they get the stuff out of the way that hinders transformation. Again, despite the cost. Because being a disciple of Christ is the most important priority in their world. If you look at our vision statement over here on the wall, if you just look at the top part of it, it says the vision of City Church is to bring spiritual, social, and cultural renewal to the city of Evansville and beyond. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. But how is it that we hope to accomplish the first part of the statement? Well, it's in the last part of the statement. Through a movement of people who are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the connection between the first part and the last part of our vision statement. No baby in the history of the world has ever said, 
listen, mom and dad, I know it's the middle of the night, and I am so sorry to bother your sleep because I know you need it, but I am really hungry. Could I trouble you to come and feed me? No baby in the history of humanity has ever said that. Babies are all about themselves. They scream for you to meet their needs. They don't care about the other people who are on the airplane listening to them scream. They don't care about the other people in the restaurant who are distracted by their screams. They don't care that you're halfway through the grocery list in the store and desperately need to just finish shopping. They must have their needs met now. The only way that we become a church that cares about the top half of our vision statement is if we become a church that is serious about, that is organized around, that is laser-focused on transformation. Because when you're transformed by Christ, your self-centered orientation changes, and you you become concerned about other people the way that Jesus is. That's how we stay a mission. Otherwise, we become a museum of relics. We become a Kiwanis club that meets every week, that does some things in the community. And by the way, not against Kiwanis club, but that's not what we're called to be. We become the junior league. A lot of people meeting, a lot of people doing stuff, but no real significant transformation happening in people's lives. I think there's a lot of great things about City Church some of which I've already mentioned this morning, but I want to tell you what my biggest critique of City Church is. You know, I'm always trying to evaluate, you know, where are we as a church? How, what are we doing well? What are, we, what are the things that we need to work on that we really need to focus on? My critique of City Church is that if we don't make some changes, we're going to be a church that is an inch deep and a mile wide. A lot of Christians, but not many disciples. So here's what you're going to see in the immediate future. In fact, starting this fall. We're going to be laser-focused on transformation and discipleship, and it's going to be felt throughout all of City Church. Dustin Krantz, our teaching and discipleship pastor, is, is leading this charge. He's been hard at work over the short time that he's been on our staff. And by the way, he's done an outstanding job for us since he's been on our staff. But he's been hard at work. Over that period of time, helping us build, and forgive this word, but he's been helping us build an infrastructure here that will support your pursuit of personal transformation. For instance, we're going to make it a lot easier for you to get connected to city life groups. We know that's been way too hard. It's like the great city church mystery. How do I sign up for a city life group? We can't tell you. It's a secret. We'd have to kill you if we did. It's like a bit of mystery, hasn't it? We're going to make that a lot easier for you. Second, we're going to do some restructuring of our city life groups that's going to help us begin to multiply disciples that live out our vision. Third, we're going to start teaching some classes this fall that you can take that will help you grow in your faith. We'll tell you more about those uh, in the weeks ahead. And fourth, we're going to challenge you in every way that we can to pursue transformation, to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you, that's going to mean rearranging some of your affairs so that you can participate in a city life group or take a class that's offered. Some of you have your schedules so busy that you can't pursue 
transformation. You need to arrange, rearrange some of your affairs. Does your work take too much time? Get a new job. Remember, no matter the cost. (laughs) Does your boyfriend not want to pursue transformation? He just wants to have sex with you and play video games? Get rid of him because, listen, it's not going to get better. So dump him and get on with your life. Does your girlfriend refuse to go to church with you? Does she just want to watch The Bachelorette and criticize you for not being more romantic? Dump her and get on with your life. Pursue transformation. That's what you're made for. Does your travel schedule to see your kids or your grandkids get in the way? Dump them. No, just kidding. I I don't. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Offer them free babysitting if they move back to town. Some of you need to rearrange your affairs so that you can stop just sitting in the place that you're in and begin to pursue transformation, which is what you were created for. Because remember this, God invites us to come as we are, but not to stay as we are. And then uh, for others of you, And I'm thinking of those of you who've been followers of Christ for a number of years, especially, though not exclusively, but especially those of you who are middle-aged or older. We need you to come out of retirement and make some disciples. Like lead a city life group. We'll train you, we'll equip you, but come out of your disciple-making retirement and help us make disciples. You're not too old. We need you to do that. That's part of the Great Commission. And for some of you, you've been hurt by a church uh, someplace in your past. I get it. That hurts. And if it's recent and you need to just sit here and heal for a while, be our guest. That's fine. But I've known people who got hurt in a church somewhere, and then they just stayed babies forever. They dropped out. Years later, they still whine. They cry like babies. I can't go to church because, well, I got hurt. Listen, there are some real knucklehead churches in the world, no question. But at some point, listen, you got to rub some dirt on it, man, and get back in the revolution because revolutionaries get wounded sometimes by friendly fire. But you get hurt. You acknowledge the wound. You seek treatment for the wound, you let it heal, and then you get back in the revelation, uh, in the revolution, excuse me. Because I don't know if you notice it or not, but the church in America is losing. We can't afford to have sidelined revolutionaries. We have to be a church that is built around the idea of transformation. And that is what makes it possible for people to pursue transformation. It's what makes it possible for us to bring spiritual, social, and cultural renewal to the city of Evansville and beyond. Now, there's so much more that I wanted to say about this passage, but uh, we don't have time. So would you guys be willing to stay another hour or so so that I can cover the rest of it? Would you be willing to do that? If you're real disciples, you'd say yes. I'm just kidding you. I'm kidding you. I need to close. I want to close, I want to close with this. The second thing I think that we get in this passage that I want to highlight is that our motivation for change 
has to be the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, Go back to verse 18, if you would. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. Notice what he says. From the empty way of life. That's why you want to become a disciple, by the way. Who wants to keep leading an empty life? People who become disciples are people who don't lead empty lives anymore. They lead meaningful lives, passionate lives, substantive lives. Anyway, he says, he says, it wasn't with these perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Defect. This, this whole passage is about change. It talks about behaviors that need to change. It talks about loving people instead of living for self. But notice that all of that flows out of the cross of Christ where he shed his blood for your sins and for mine. You see, in self-help or in religion, the motivation for change is essentially, it's always selfish. The motivation for change, it's all about me. I don't want to worry I don't want to feel anxiety. I don't want to be so mean to people. I want my marriage to work. I want my children to love me. I want to be successful in my career. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want my parents to reject me. Whatever. It's actually all very selfish. And every effort that a person makes to change in that way actually, interestingly, deepens the roots of selfishness in the human soul but not so with Christianity. Christianity says, I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing this so that other people will think I'm, I'm awesome. awesome. I'm doing this for Christ. Look at all that he did for me. I want to change for him. I want to sacrifice for him. I want to give this up for him. Look at what he did for me. Is there anything that I wouldn't do for him? Oh, how he loves me, and oh, how I love him. Do you see the difference? between self-help and religion and Christianity. One is all about me. One is all about Christ. One is based in fear and guilt and shame and and pride, and the other is based in, in love. The cross changes everything, including me. It turns me from a selfish, self centered person into a Christ loving, selfless person. And in the end, it's the joy and the wonder of the gospel that will change you permanently. And only that sufficiently transforms the human heart from the inside out. This is what Evansville needs, my friends. It needs us to be transformed by this gospel. And it's only by pursuing transformation with the cross as our motivation that we can remain a church that is a mission and not turn into a museum. And it's only that way that five years from now, we'll be celebrating again all that God has done in the last five years. And I look forward to that 10th anniversary. Do you? Yeah. Would you bow your heads? Yeah, please. Thank you very much. Let's do this again in five more years. How about that? Would you bow your heads with me for prayer?
Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, we recognize that you deserve all the glory and all the honor and all the praise here at City Church. And that is not a false humility on our part. That is uh, just reality. Uh, you have been faithful to us. You have carried us through places that if you weren't with us, we wouldn't have made it through. You've provided for us graciously. You've brought people to this church who are courageous people, uh, who want to be disciples and, and who want to be, pursue transformation and who want as a result of that to change a city. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to do that by your power. We exalt you, Lord Jesus Christ. And let our motivation always be your cross. Let us never as a church deviate from the gospel. A hundred years from now, if you tarry, long after all of us are gone, Lord, please let this church continue to be faithful to your gospel. It is the hope of the world. And it is in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we worship today and that we pray.